The first Bible reading tonight is from Matthew 22:34 to 40, which can be found on page 804 of the Pew Bibles. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The second Bible reading is from 1 Timothy 4, 6 to 10, on page 964. If you put these instructions before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with profane myths and old wives' tales. Train yourselves in godliness, for while physical training is of some value, Godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and struggle, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. I thought Dave was going to do some interpretive dance or something. Well, was, no. Disappointing. That would be nice for New Year's Day. Anyway. Welcome to uh, 2017. Uh, it's lovely to see you here, as uh, Alex has uh, mentioned. Nice to see a faithful remnant of people turning up for church on the first day of the year, not too uh, sleepy from last night. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, it's hard not to think today about what this year might have in store. Uh, hard to think about uh, what uh, you hope will change this year, maybe what you hope will stay the same, uh, what possibilities about the year excite you, what possibilities might frighten you. Uh, it's that season of thinking about the future, that season of uh, making resolutions. And so we're going to think uh, actually over the whole of the rest of January about some resolutions that are shaped by uh, the purposes that God has for us in his scriptures. Uh, we're going to hear as we, uh, as we think uh, through uh, God's word tonight and uh, have it shape our hearts and our lives uh, that actually resolutions are, are a really good thing in lots of ways, uh, but we need to actually make sure that they line up in the right way with the things that God has in store for us. That's what we're going to continue to think about. You'll see up on the screen in front of you the three points that we're going to be working through, just to give you a little bit of an idea, and we'll see how we go. The new year is a time that's always pregnant with new beginnings, with possibilities, with opportunities, a time that's open to change, and so it's a perfect time for thinking about all the things that we'd love to be different about our lives, things we'd like to be different about ourselves. And that, in the end, is, uh, I think, for those of us who make resolutions, why we do it, isn't it? Uh, we do it because we want to be different. We do it because we want our lives to look a certain way. We want our lives to amount to something, to uh, be meaningful in some way. We make resolutions to try and change ourselves and change our lives to actually reach those goals for what we'd like for our lives. Our resolutions are almost always about changing things that we don't like about ourselves or our lives, things that we're ashamed of, things we know need to be different, things that disappoint us. Not surprisingly, the top three New Year's resolutions uh, pretty much every year, according to the various uh, fairly unscientific polls that people do in the newspapers, the top three resolutions every year, lose weight, start exercising regularly, quit smoking. Probably not surprising. I suspect uh, probably drinking less comes a, a strong fourth, not far behind quitting smoking. And it's easy to see why we care about those kinds of resolutions so much, isn't it? 
Uh, we generally feel pretty embarrassed about our bodies. Uh, and in addition to the physical aspects of our embarrassment, we don't like what those things about us say about who we are as a person. Uh, I'm lazy, I'm slow, I'm undisciplined. If I'm all of those things, how can I actually make anything of my life? And the sense of uh, guilt uh, or of resignation that we uh, feel when we uh, so often fail to achieve those resolutions actually tends to just kind of confirm those fears we had all along about the kind of person that we actually are. I think it goes for all kinds of resolutions, really. Uh, it might be that this year you've decided you want to read more, you want to spend more time with your family, you want to learn to cook, you want to volunteer. On the surface, our resolutions are about activities or behaviours, but really they're actually about character. They're about the kind of person we'd like to be and the kind of life we'd like to have. Uh, it's not just, I want to read more, it's, I'd like to be the kind of person who people think is smart because they read lots. Or, I'm the kind of person who people think is nice because he spends lots of time with his family. Or, I'm the kind of person who people love to hang out with because I can make them really nice food. What these kinds of uh, resolutions at New Year reveal about us is that we actually all long for transformation. We long to have all those ugly bits of our lives cleaned up and to fill in all those gaps in our own lives and in our own person and character that uh, we wish weren't there. Another thing uh, we tend to do at the end of the year, or at least I do, is make top ten lists of the best songs from the previous year. Uh, I don't know if anyone else does that. I tend to do that in the first week of January most years. And one of the songs that I think is a really interesting song that's near the top of my list of, of songs from 2016 uh, it's a song by uh, a punk rock band from uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, they're called Cloud Nothings. They've got this song called Modern Act. And uh, the refrain of the song that the singer repeats throughout is, I want a life. What the, the singer's asking for is that all the bits of his life, all the, all the living that he does, might actually add up to something coherent. He's not saying he just wants to get out of the house more or, or go clubbing a bit or hang out with his friends more and have a bit more excitement in his life. He's saying that he wants all those things that he does day to day to actually be something, to be not just living, but to be a life. And I think that's what we want as well. Uh, it's the same idea, actually, that uh, Harrison Ford expressed this last week when he was uh, on social media after Carrie Fisher passed away. Uh, he wrote that she lived her life bravely. Uh, according to Ford, it wasn't just that Fisher did stuff, but that her life as a whole had a particular meaning a meaning that he described as brave. And however we want to describe our lives or what we want for our lives, uh, that same urge is present for us, I think. We want our living to mean something, to actually be a coherent life. But, of course, there's a problem with this and a problem with the resolutions that we make to try to get there. And the problem with resolutions is that almost all the time we end up not actually achieving them. If we desire for our living to become a life in this way, and if that desire is so strong, then why do our resolutions fail so often? Uh, resolutions can work. I'm sure we all know people who've made resolutions in the new year and gone on to do amazing things, to lose a bunch of weight, to exercise more, to become the CEO of Google or something. Uh, all kinds of amazing things uh, that people actually do achieve through New Year's resolutions. And yet, for most of us, I think the experience is that we decide in the first week of January, this is what I'm going to do, and by the first week of February, it's, it's long since forgotten. Why is that? Why is it that our resolutions fail so easily? Well, to think about that a little bit more, we're actually going to uh, hear from uh, a, a clinical psychologist who's done some research about uh, New Year's resolutions. So we've got a short video to watch. There you go. Good news. Resolutions actually can be helpful. And isn't, 
Isn't that fascinating that they're so much more likely to be fulfilled when you do them at New Year? Uh, those kind of cultural, cultural assistance of doing it together um, actually can make a huge difference. And uh, interestingly, that's kind of in part what being at church together is about. Uh, actually, being part of a church is, is in part being part of a culture uh, where actually we help each other to, to reflect well about who we are in the light of the Lord Jesus and to help one another on to, toward more holiness as well. I think that's really interesting. It's also interesting, though, I don't know if you noticed this, that uh, he highlighted one particular reason that he thinks our resolutions often fail, and that's our habits. We have bad habits. We're creatures of habit. We do the same things over and over again. And I think that's uh, often uh, very much what it is that stops us from having the kind of uh, transformation, the, the kind of changes to our life that we'd like. Uh, resolutions can work, but what makes them successful is ones that take, they, uh, take habits seriously. Uh, focusing on those small daily routines can actually be a driver of real change. There's a, a, an anonymous quote doing the rounds on the internet at the moment, uh, a line which I think is pretty accurate in my experience, uh, maybe for, for most of us. Uh, it goes, uh, many people look forward to the new year for a new start on old habits. Uh, I think that's pretty accurate, a uh, new year, uh, but a uh, new year full of doing the same old things. Uh, you see, it's, it's no use saying on New Year's Day that I'll go for a run three mornings every week which is a resolution that I make on kind of a you know, monthly basis, not, a, not an annual basis, and very rarely actually fulfill. It's, it's no use making that kind of resolution and then not setting your alarm early enough to get out of bed to go for the run before you have to be somewhere else in the morning. Uh, if you want positive change in our lives, if you want real transformation, then you need to make resolutions that take our habits seriously, and not only that, but actually uh, give us new habits uh, that help train us in new ways for a new kind of life. I think that insight's really, really helpful, and it seems like uh, all the psychologists pretty much agree on that, but I actually think it don't, doesn't go deep enough. I think there's a connection with our habits to something else about us that, uh, that goes uh, deeper than just what we do on the surface. And I think that's that the problem with so many of our resolutions, the reason we so often fail in them, is that our resolutions actually don't take our hearts seriously enough. They don't take seriously the things that we love our habits and our hearts are intertwined. Our habits flow out of our hearts, uh, which is why not being able to change them can be so scary a lot of the time. Uh, our habits expose our hearts by showing what it is that we really love. Those things that we keep returning to are the things actually that we've got our hearts set on. But while habits can be bad and are hard to change, they also have real power to shape our hearts in new ways. Uh, things that we do habitually become natural to us over time. They become a part of us. Uh, there's a degree to which I am my habits and my habits are me. Uh, I think often our resolutions fail because we love the way we are now too much to change. Uh, I love the pleasure of good wine more than I love being able to walk up the street without getting puffed. Or I love the praise of my colleagues more than I love spending time with my family. Put another way, we can easily make good resolutions but make them badly. Uh, by resolving on good outcomes without resolving to address the issues in our own hearts that actually underlie the things that we want to change. So if we want to make resolutions that succeed, we're going to need to take our loves seriously, to take our habits seriously. Uh, and if we take our loves seriously, then we need to actually uh, look at how our habits might be instructive about what our hearts are like. They might actually teach us about the things that we love. 
I think it would be a really interesting and a helpful exercise to think about uh, which resolutions naturally come to your mind uh, when you think about New Year's resolutions. What are those first things that, that pop into your head and you go, that's, that's what I want to do this year? And to think about what those actually might be exposing about your heart, about your loves. If we do that kind of reflection, I think we can really start to get to the heart of things. Because what we need actually is not uh, to just stick to our resolutions better, but to make better resolutions, I think, in the first place. Because if, we, if, we uh, if our hearts aren't right, then we can never hope to actually resolve all of the living that we do into a coherent life, a life of substance and meaning. We need actually to make better resolutions, uh, resolutions that help us to get our hearts into a better place. So what, what are the proper resolutions that we might like? What are resolutions that are going to help us to do this? The key question about uh, resolutions that might help us to get our hearts right is, of course, uh, to ask about where our hearts should be in the first place. Uh, and Jesus answers that question for us in the passage that we read from Matthew. And his answer is straightforward enough. Uh, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. That's pretty straightforward uh, until you start to try to do it. And then all of a sudden it gets complicated and not that simple at all. Uh, even though these two commands are quite simple, they actually run much deeper than is immediately apparent. And there are two things about them that I think we really need to notice. Uh, firstly, it's worth noticing that Jesus isn't just giving us a list of priorities here. It's not as though he's saying uh, it's okay to love yourself as long as it doesn't compromise your neighbour. And it's okay to love your neighbour as long as it doesn't compromise God. Actually, what Jesus is talking about is the way that love for God can actually bring shape and order to our whole life, to actually all of our loves. Uh, the two commands uh, are comprehensive in the sense that they form the basis of a life which is coherent. Uh, love for God, love for neighbour and love for self aren't in competition with one another. Instead, when our hearts are rightly set on God, all three of those things come into alignment together. We love God by loving our neighbours as ourselves. We love ourselves and our neighbours by loving God. The way to a coherent, uh, meaningful life is to order our loves rightly by setting our hearts on God. And so our first resolution, the kind of big R resolution that should underlie every other resolution we make uh, today and this week and every year, is to resolve to love God. And out of that love actually flows everything else that we need for life. Out of that love flows love for our neighbour and love for ourselves uh, done in the right way. That love for God shapes everything so that uh, everything about our lives in some way points to him. Uh, that uh, everything in our lives can be said to be summed up like Harrison Ford did about Carrie Fisher's life as this person loves God. A second thing to notice uh, I think helps us to draw out what that looks like a little bit more. Uh, I think it's important for us to recognise that the love Jesus is talking about here uh, isn't simply affection. Uh, affection is important, uh, but what's actually central to the love that Jesus is speaking about here is attention. Uh, to love something or someone is to pay attention to that something or someone, to take them seriously uh, as an object uh, to whom we relate. Uh, affection is a particular kind of attention, but it's not the whole deal. So uh, what do I mean by saying that uh, love is primarily about attention? Uh, I think the best example, probably, that I've come up with for this so far is uh, the, the basic fight that my wife and I have had across the whole four and a half years that we've been married. 
At the heart of every single fight we ever have, really, when it boils down to it, uh, is uh, the phrase uh, that uh, I've heard Alison say to me many times, and I've said it to her as well, you're not listening to me. You're not paying attention to what I'm saying and to how I'm feeling. And what we mean when we say this to each other, really, is that we're not taking one another seriously. We're not engaging with one another as we really are. We're either just uh, ignoring each other or just refusing to see what it is that's really going on uh, or projecting our own assumptions onto one another instead of actually paying attention to one another so we might see what the real problem is. What gets in the way of loving well uh, is failing to pay attention. And that's the same in all kinds of other relationships too. Uh, you could think of the friend who's so self-absorbed in their own crises that they don't notice that actually you're in crisis as well. Uh, or the child who uh, injures themselves because they fail to take seriously the warning their parents have given them. Or the parent who dismisses their teenager's uh, opinions and insights because their own life experience is so much longer. We see this lack of attention, I think, when we move too quickly to sharing a comforting word with a friend in mourning instead of actually just sitting with them in their pain for a while. We see it when we pass over a single friend's loneliness by assuring them that the right match must be just around the corner instead of feeling that pain with them. We see it in our politics even, when our politicians and experts talk to one another about the things that they think are best for the poor and needy in our society without ever actually stopping to hear from those who they're trying to help about what they think they might need. I think one of the best examples probably that at least half the room will be able to relate to uh, is the experience that uh, a woman has in uh, her workplace or in a conversation when she has an insight about uh, something that, uh, that the, the group are talking about uh, and it goes completely unnoticed until a man says it a few minutes later and then all of a sudden it's a, this really powerful insight that everyone should pay attention to. In each of these situations, the failure to love is a failure to pay attention. Uh, one person's not taking the other seriously as someone uh, who has been given to them to engage with, someone who's been given to them to learn from, to partner with in thinking about how to live well in the world. This idea of love as attention is actually where the scriptures takes these commands to love. Uh, the, command, uh, the first of those commands that Jesus gives, to love the Lord your God, uh, comes up all the time in the Old Testament. It's one of the standard uh, summaries of what it means to, to be one of the people of God. And in Deuteronomy, uh, in Deuteronomy 6, one of those places, uh, the command is followed up by these words. Uh, God says, The words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Love for God here is to be expressed in paying attention to him, particularly paying attention to what, what he says to us when he speaks to us. And that attention is to be woven into our daily habits as a way of expressing our love for him and shaping our hearts toward him. That, that love for God, that paying attention to what it is that he has to say is through all of life, through conversations with children, through walking down the street with someone. And love for neighbours is similarly described in terms of paying attention. In Luke 10, Jesus expands on that second command to love your neighbour as yourself using the story of the Good Samaritan. A man lies bleeding in the middle of the road and two upstanding members of society, a Levite and a priest, walk past. They see him there, but they just keep going. And it's left to a Samaritan, an outcast in the society of Jesus' day, uh, to actually come to the man and actually pay attention to him, 
to look him full in the face, to see what it is that he needs and how he might partner with him, how he might help him, and even how he might learn from him. To be a neighbour means to take our neighbours with utmost seriousness as people to be engaged in relationship, whose needs are given to us as opportunities for service, whose insights and experiences we can learn from and value. And in the same way, love for ourselves is actually also a matter of paying attention. Uh, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, which we read earlier as well, uh, the, the apostle asks his apprentice to pass on this instruction. He says, train yourself in godliness, for while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Those resolutions to lose weight and to do some exercise and to quit smoking or reduce your drinking, they're all good things. But what matters more is godliness, actually, which is about uh, the heart that lies beneath those other resolutions we might make. And we're to train ourselves in it. We're to pay attention to ourselves, to our own hearts, uh, in such a way that we can uh, seek to be living in a way that gives glory to the Lord Jesus. So to love yourself, then, actually means to, to pay attention to yourself, to recognise that uh, your life needs to be lived in relation to God. That's what godliness means. And therefore to take seriously the, the habits and the heart that correspond to a life that's lived toward him. And in the end, that's actually why the command to love your neighbour is a command to do so as yourself. Uh, because uh, godliness is for our own benefit. The, the most important and most beneficial thing I can do for me is to love God, is to see my whole life in relation uh, to him. And that actually turns out to be the best thing for my neighbour as well, for them to love God and see their own lives in that way too. And so as we love ourselves, as we love our neighbours, actually again we point toward uh, our love for God. So what Jesus is telling us here is that if we get our hearts right, uh, if we set our hearts on the love of God, then love of neighbour and love of self fall into place. Uh, those three kinds of love aren't in competition, but actually they're coherent, they work together to make a life that adds up. Uh, to something meaningful. We're going to think a little bit uh, in the next couple of weeks about uh, habits that we might try to incorporate in our lives uh, to help us particularly to love our neighbour. Uh, but tonight uh, I want to think particularly about some habits that might help us to, to pay attention to God more this year. Uh, and uh, as we do that, to pay attention to ourselves as well. Uh, that's the central and non-negotiable resolution, to love God, and uh, that means actively paying attention to him and everything else flows out from that. So how might we actually do that? There's uh, heaps going on in our world all the time. Everywhere you look, there's information coming at you, all kinds of things grasping for your attention. Uh, and that makes it really easy for God to be squeezed out. Uh, resolving then to love God is going to involve serious attempts to make space in our lives so that we might be able to pay attention to him. Uh, the key ways, of course, that we uh, pay attention to God are uh, in reading his word to us in the scriptures, in prayer, in meditating on our own hearts in such a way that we might uh, uh, hear how it is that his word is going to shape us and, and make us new again. But actually what we need isn't just uh, a kind of vague resolution to say, I'm going to be better at my quiet time this year. What we actually need is to think seriously and, and hard and creatively about habits that might help us to get there, habits that might help to integrate paying attention to God into the, into the fabric of our lives uh, throughout each day. Those big R, that one big R resolution to love God needs small R resolutions uh, to go alongside it to help build habits that help us to do that. So taking the advice of uh, the video that we saw just before, uh, what's the low-hanging fruit in your weekly routine? 
what are the really easy things to do that you could actually say, this, this is simple, but it's something that I'm going to try and do this year so that actually will help me to, to pay attention to God uh, and flow out actually into, into my life in other ways. Um, I have some suggestions. You'll probably have more creative and, and better ones as well. Uh, it might be uh, that uh, you say a, a quick prayer with your spouse or your housemates uh, or your kids before you get into bed each night. Uh, it might be that you uh, buy a, a journal to go in your work bag uh, so that as you come home uh, each day from work, you can spend just, even just a couple of minutes writing down some things that you're thankful to God for that day. It might be that you decide to stop for 15 minutes uh, on your way to or from uh, work uh, each day, somewhere that's nice and quiet, to actually just do a bit of reflection and to do a bit of business with God. You might even make a, a, a little list of, of diagnostic questions that you use each day to help you reflect. How will I love God today? How will I pay attention to my neighbours at home and at work? What aspects of my own godliness do I need to be mindful of? Uh, you could designate some no screen time to bring a little bit more clarity to the uh, confusing mess of messages that we see and hear each day. Uh, you might decide to ditch the Bible reading app that you've been using and actually just go to it like an old school, you know Bibles used to come on paper? Actually go to an old school Bible with paper to kind of separate out this is, this is something different actually from what I'm seeing on Facebook when I look at my phone. Uh, one of the things that actually I'm uh, pretty keen to do this year that a friend of mine swears by uh, is a little practice where you can kind of kill two resolutions with one stone, uh, which sounds pretty good. Uh, his uh, habit now is to spend 20 minutes every uh, evening uh, after dinner just going for a quick walk just for 20 minutes, get some exercise in, and to actually just do some uh, praying and some reflecting as you go for a walk. Uh, no phone, phone's not allowed, so that you can't be distracted by all those other things. Just a really simple way to actually make some space in your life for paying attention to God in that way. There are heaps of possibilities, uh, and you guys are, are probably all way more creative than me and will have some, uh, some good ideas about things to do. But uh, the task, actually, and a task that's really good for us to do at this time of year, is to stop and think about how this year am I going to make sure that I'm paying attention to God? What can I do? What little habits can I try and, and bring uh, into my life to help me to make space to do that in, a, in an integrated way? Uh, but, of course, uh, we know from experience that our own willpower often isn't enough even to make small changes to our habits. Uh, even small changes like the ones that we're talking about uh, can be really, really hard to do over the long term. Uh, habits are uh, not broken easily uh, and new habits aren't formed easily either. So we actually need uh, a power from somewhere else to have successful resolutions. To make serious inroads, we're going to need more than just that willpower, uh, but actually to get into our hearts that what we do when we make those resolutions, however small they might seem, is actually something much bigger than just being able to tick uh, a quiet time off our list. I think uh, often we're afraid to make real resolutions uh, and the fear that lies behind uh, that, uh, that failure to make resolutions to change uh, actually is the same fear that lies behind us uh, not wanting to pay attention uh, to God and to others, but to keep all of our attention focused just on ourselves. Uh, it's a fear about self-preservation. Uh, it's the fear that if I uh, risk lifting my eyes to see myself in a broader context of the world that God has made and the others he's made alongside me in it, that I might actually lose myself a little bit, uh, that I might uh, start having to recognise failures in my own heart uh, that I've wanted to just put to one side, uh, that I might have to adjust my expectations for my life to change my plans. Uh, that kind of uh, selfishness, which is what it is uh, in the end, 
uh, is the, uh, the wrong kind of love for yourself. It's the kind of love that actually fails to see yourself in the bigger picture of what God's plans and purposes for his world are. And so actually, in the end, it's not even really love for yourself at all uh, because you can't have what God has for us if you don't see your life in that context. We fear, uh, though, that a love for anything other than for myself might destroy us, that by holding less tightly uh, to myself, I might actually uh, see all of my desires and the things I want for my life just slowly drift away. The cure for that fear and the power that we need for our resolutions to be successful is to love Jesus, uh, to pay attention to what God's done for us in him. Uh, his love for God and for his neighbours led him to his own destruction. Uh, his obedience to his father's call on his life led to him laying it down for us. Uh, you see, in the cross of the Lord Jesus, love for God and love for neighbour are exactly the same thing. And actually, not only just love for God and love for neighbour, but love for self as well, because it was in Jesus' own giving of himself in death that actually he found his purpose. He found actually the meaning that God had given for his life. His death is the crowning achievement of his life that makes it not just a series of things that he did while he was living, but actually a life that meant something. In loving God and neighbour, in paying attention to God's call on him and to his neighbour's needs, Jesus experienced the loss that we fear. Uh, he lost himself in service of God and neighbour. But he experienced that so that we might not have to experience it. Uh, because Jesus found himself in losing himself, we can actually confidently risk ourselves. We can give ourselves up in the service of others uh, and in doing so find ourselves uh, a life worth living with joy. Uh, indeed, as the Lord Jesus himself teaches us, uh, those who want to save their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for his sake will find it. You see, God's made it possible for us to find ourselves in him by risking ourselves. Uh, we, can we can risk ourselves in making resolutions that uh, we fear we won't keep uh, because we know that even though our resolve is often weak, Jesus' resolve remains strong to the bitter end. Uh, his resolve means that uh, even our failures of resolve can be part of God's work of transforming our hearts and lives. And so ultimately our resolution needs to be to pay attention to Jesus uh, he's uh, not only our God, but also our neighbour. And we celebrate at Christmas that he became one of us, uh, a man, human flesh, just like you and me. And so we fulfil those two great commandments to love God and love neighbour by setting our hearts on Jesus, by setting our hearts on him. And when Jesus sits enthroned in your heart, you're free to love as you've been loved in him and to make resolutions that aren't ends in themselves, but instead are expressions of love for God and for your neighbours. Uh, expressions and resolutions that will mark your life as being held together by nothing other than the love of God. Uh, having your hearts melted by love for the one who loved us with a perfect love is exactly the power that we need to make change that lasts. We want a life and we find it in Jesus. And so let's praise God this year and every year by resolving uh, to live uh, for him in joy and thankfulness, to serve him without fear and to do that until he returns uh, or he takes us to be with him. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the Lord Jesus you have given us everything that we need for life. Uh, Father, in him we see uh, those things that we fear uh, taken away so that we might actually be able to do the work that we need to do in our own hearts. Uh, in his death for us uh, and in his resurrection, we see 
not only the truth of ourselves as we really are, warts and all, and all the things that we need and want to change about ourselves, but also the new life, the divine life that he holds out to us. And so, Father, uh, we pray as this year begins, as we remember the new beginning that you gave when the Lord Jesus came among us as one of us, that you might help us to confidently step into uh, serious resolutions about new beginnings we'd like to make this year, uh, confident that even when we fail, you'll bring that work to completion in the Lord Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.